It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. And good morning. Welcome into the program. Happy Monday to you. Welcome into a new week. Hope that you had a good weekend. I did. I I had a pretty fun weekend. Uh, yeah. I mean, so let me set the stage for you, okay? It's my 11th birthday, so it's January 4th, 1989, and I just got, so I always had it confused in my mind over the years. I thought it was my 10th birthday that this happened, but it must have been my 11th birthday. So my 10th birthday, I wish I could remember what store we went to. But for my 10th birthday, I got a bunch of Iron Maiden cassettes. But for my 11th birthday, I got the new Tiffany album, her second album, Hold an Old Friend's Hand. I already had the first one. And so it's my, my birthday cake time. We're living in Plymouth. We put the cake out on the dining room table. I blow out the candles and the wish that I made was to meet Tiffany who I had a huge crush on. And a few months ago, I went and saw her perform in Yarmouth, wrote an article about it, uh, mainly because I thought that people there would like the venue. I thought people reading would like the venue and didn't, you know, I'd never heard of it. And also because she works closely with the Children's Miracle Network and Children's Hospitals. And they were the, the whole purpose of that tour that she was doing was to raise money for children's hospitals. But now she has a new album out and she's out there supporting it. And so I went last night to see her at a, at a venue called City Winery in Boston, which I'll, I'll tell you about in a moment, because I think a lot of you are going to want to go there. Especially when you hear who's coming up in a couple of weeks. But last night, due to, you know, the article that I wrote and the friendship that I made with her, her road manager, who is the per, her tour manager, who is the person who is the um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's, he's kind of the one who spearheaded all of the fundraising because he's been working with Children's Miracle Network and Children's Hospitals for 17 years and a year and a half ago he and his wife had their own child and it turns out that child had cancer and needed the school, needed the hospitals and so all the work and all the time and energy and dedication that he raised into helping other kids kind of came back for him. But little given is doing well. And uh, so now, you know, he's back out on the road with Tiffany. And so l- last night I was fortunate enough to get to meet her after the show. So my dream came true. My wish came true. My birthday wish came true. It just took 44 years. No, 34 years. 34 years. But I also met some great people. Hi to George and Laura, if you're listening. 
so let me tell you about this place if you've never been. Because I've been to a lot of different places to see performances. Uh, of course, you know, we all know how great it is to see a show at like Gillette Stadium, at the Garden, at the, at the I guess it's called the Amp now. I guess that's what we're calling it, the Amp. Uh, in Providence, you know, the PPAC, the Zyterian, all these great places to go out and see shows. But sometimes you can go and see really good acts at very intimate places, like when you go to see a show at The Vault or the Music Room in Yarmouth, where I saw Tiffany before. And I had never been to City Winery. I had no idea what it was. Apparently, it's a, it's, I don't want to call it a chain, but they have a couple of different locations. And I'd, I'd never even heard of it, to be honest with you. And then when I saw the lineup of who they have performing there, they, they get some pretty good acts in there. And it's a great room for a show. There's no bad seat, really. You're set. So the, it, it reminds me of the, the Rocky Point Shore Dinner Hall, you know, where you'd have the long tables where you had to make friends with the people next to you, even though they weren't part of your party. And so there's tables of, uh, I'd say, maybe a dozen, maybe 14. And there's different sections of tables. And then there's like a kind of a general seating in the back or a standing room area in the back. And it just so happened when I went to buy this ticket, I was able to get a seat very close to the stage. I was uh, three, three people from the stage. But it wouldn't matter no matter where you were because the place is very intimate, really great. And um, so it's, it's called City Winery because obviously they have a lot of wines. And so I don't usually drink wine, but I had a few glasses last night. Why not? When you're at City Winery, you have some wines. But um, it was a really great show. And what I was really impressed about it, because when you think about going into Boston to see things at the different theaters or um, at some of the smaller venues, you think, well, it's going to be such a hassle to get into the city. And then, you know, traffic and then getting around and finding a place to park and then, you know, getting from the parking to the venue and all. So granted, you know, it was a Sunday yesterday, so that makes it a little bit easier. But it couldn't have been easier to get in and out of this place. You basically just take the expressway in. You get off at the uh, the government center exit, couple turns, and you are in the Haymarket garage. Or you could, you know, park in Braintree and take the T and get off at the Haymarket station. I decided not to do that because there's a, a shutdown in the red line where you have to take a bus around JFK, which I think has been going on for like forever. But I, I did not want to, um, did not want to have to, you know, get off the train, take a bus because that can slow things down. And so I said, you know what? It's sixteen bucks, sixteen bucks to park in the Haymarket garage. I'm just going to go there. Nobody was there. I parked on the first level of the garage. Walked right out, kind of right across the street was the city winery. Went to the show, left, got back in my car. No line to wait in. Like when you go to like TV Garden and you get 20,000 people trying to leave all at once. None of that was able to get right out. And then you get out of the garage, you turn right and you just straight ahead to 93. Could not have been easier. So I'm going to go to more shows there because they're super affordable. Again, as I said, I, I sat right down front. I think I paid 45 bucks for the ticket. And I could have sat further back, not that much further back, for 25 
But I said to myself, or maybe it was 35 I paid, I forget. But I said to myself, it's, you know, it's worth the extra couple of bucks to, to be closer to the stage. And, and, and man, it was. So I recommend it if you are a fan of live music and if you're a fan of wine. They do have beers too, but and cocktails. But I, I figured, eh, I'm at City Winery. I'll try some wine. And of course, you know, you go and you have a beer. You're getting the whole beer. You go and you have a glass of wine. They only pour you a little bit of wine. So it's actually easier to control, you know, how much you're partaking in. But it was uh, the reason why I say some local people might want to go there is coming up on May 13th, they've got John Cafferty and Beaver Brown. So New Bedford's own saxophonist, Michael Toons and Toons, will be there as part of that show. And so uh, some of the friends that I made were already talking about going to that show. So who knows? I might join them. Depends on uh, what the spooky South Coast schedule is. Because it's a Saturday night. But yeah, re- I recommend it if you haven't been. There's a lot of little places like that. You know, I mean, I listen, how many times have you gone to the vault? You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know that when you have a, an intimate show with just a couple of hundred people, it's a really cool experience. So this is, uh, you know, another similar venue. It's a little bit different because you're all, you know, everybody's kind of sitting at long tables. But certainly you still get that same feel of, you know, just you and the, you and the performer. So hopefully I will, I will see you down there at a show sometime or up there, I guess. But it was, uh, it was a nice, nice night out. But that's also why uh, I stayed in Saturday and didn't do a spooky South Coast because uh, I I can't go out two nights in a row. I can't be out of the house two nights in a row. What are you crazy? Come on. So, the um, because Friday night, Friday night, I had a late night. Second Friday night in a row. I'm hoping that this Friday there's there's no major news drop from the uh, from the Bristol County Sheriff's Office because last week we had, well, the week before last we had the um, we we obtained the videos of the ice riot, and I know riot is probably not the precise term considering what happened in both these instances, but I'm, I'm going to use that anyway. So two weeks ago, we got the, well, two Fridays ago, we got the release of the video footage from the ICE riot that happened at the Bristol County House of Correction back in May of 2020, May 1st, 2020. Last Friday, we have... I don't want to say a similar situation, but it's kind of a similar situation. It wasn't exactly the same, but a similar situation for now Sheriff Paul Hero in the main part of the jail, in, in, in two of the regular housing units. As you know, the ICE detention center was shut down. The Bristol County Sheriff's Office lost its contract with ICE to house immigration detainees. And the plan is to utilize that space for, you know, something else in the future, but it's, it's no longer an ICE detention center. So if you missed all of the details, uh, Barry did a great job of trying to get you all the information in real time. You know, we broke the story here. Kate broke the story while we were on the air here uh, Saturday, uh, Friday morning, talking about what was going on over there, but we had very little details. Marcus Ferro headed over, and he was calling into Barry with some live reports as much as he could tell. You know, of course, they're keeping them away from the main part. 
Uh, Channel 5 had their, their helicopter up in the air, and we were getting some video footage from there. And I was getting some reports from some other friends who were in the area and, and getting footage, and, and it seemed like, you know, things things were getting a little crazy, but nothing that was, you know, severely out of control. The fire department was called. Uh, five other sheriff's offices or five, five other personnel from five other jails arrived. The DOC arrived. State police arrived. And we, we knew very little of what was actually going on at the time. They did tell us, uh, Jonathan Darling, the spokesperson for Sheriff Rowe in the Bristol County Sheriff's Office, said that there were no hostages, no, no guards were taken, uh, well, I shouldn't say guards, no correctional officers were taken hostage. No inmates were taken hostage. But that's all that we knew. Then a little bit later on, we got information that there, there were no injuries except for... Um, a few of the inmates had like a bloody nose. But for the most part, everything went off without any injuries to people. There was significant property damage, but no injuries to people. And so we, we I remember I was leaving the supermarket with all my groceries and they announced that there was going to be a press conference. And so I said, well, I, um, <laughs> I can't make it over to the press conference. I got a car full of groceries. So I went home and put the groceries away and was able to, to tune into the press conference on television and kind of piece together uh, a story based on what Sheriff Harrow was, was saying to the media. So what had happened was at 7 o'clock in the morning, on Friday, they alerted the detainees in two of the housing units, uh, GA and GB, which are not lockdown units. So they, they, they don't have cells with individual locks. These are what he was talking about when he was mentioning when he wants to close Ash Street. He needs to have more cells that have the ability to lock. And these cells don't have the ability to lock because they don't have bathrooms in them. They don't have toilets in them. They don't have sinks in them, or maybe they maybe they have a sink. I know they don't have a toilet. So in order to make it so that they can lock the doors of the cells, they need to put toilets in all the cells because otherwise the inmates have no way to use the facilities. So they leave the door open, and it's more of a general locked area that they can freely go back and forth and use the bathroom and be in their cell and do other things. Now, just because... They want to install this ability, you know, install these toilets in the, and, and have the ability to lock the cells down. It doesn't mean that they always have to be locked down. They can still have this same general area, but it will allow them to bring in the prisoners that do need to be locked down, which means that they can close down the Ash Street Jail. So they were already in plans to do that anyway, to refurbish these housing units. What happened was at 7 o'clock in the morning on Friday, they told the inmates in those housing units, hey, we're moving you later because we're doing some suicide proofing. We're doing some measures to help cut down the, the risk of suicide. Now, as he 
explained to Marcus um, a while back on South Coast Tonight. That's going to include taking those bunks, those beds, and installing, I guess it's like a washer or something that they can install in, in one of the areas where people have been hanging themselves from. They've been, you know, utilizing bed sheets to, to hang themselves from this certain portion of the of the beds. And if they put this, like, washer in there, that makes it so that you can't get the the fabric through there. So they were going to be starting to work on on some of those measures. And so in order to do so, they had to take those inmates and move them to a different unit. Now, the unit they were moving them to had the ability to be locked down. So as Sheriff Harrow explained, rumors started, and I think rumors played a part in the ICE incident as well with the ICE detainees because I think they thought they were being moved from this area because they were going to move them into the main area for COVID testing. You know, that's where they were bringing them for COVID testing. But they, I think they got it in their heads that if they move us to this other unit, we're not coming back here. And they thought they were going to be locked down in cells. And I think that that's, you know, what Sheriff Harrow was saying was the same thing that happened in this case where that's what happened is they didn't want to leave because they thought that if they went into this unit where they could be locked in individual cells, they would be. And I believe Sheriff Harrow explained to them, we're not going to lock you down in there. Like, we're going to have the same setup over there that we have in here with, you know, the doors will be open and you can freely move, but we just got to get you over to that building until we get this done. And so, as he as he said, there were 17 what he called ringleaders who led this whole incident. And that, I think it was 75 in one unit and 63 in the other. So out of all of those, it was really 17 of them that were the main troublemakers here. And so they, by 9 o'clock, as he said, things began to go sideways. The captain and the major in charge of those units decided to pull the corrections officers from those units and to lock them down. And that's when things kind of started to get worse. As Sheriff Rowe said, he was notified at about 9.30 of what was going on. And he found out that the inmates had a list of demands. So he had them write down the demands and then he responded back to them about their demands in writing. He said that that's how he communicates with inmates. He wants to do it all through writing. And that when he sent back his response to their demands, it was clear that they weren't actually interested in having those demands met. They were just going to basically have their temper tantrum. And others arrived, other jails, personnel from other jails. As I said, the DOC, state police, they all arrived. And then after a few more hours, they were able to take one unit back. And then a short time after that, they took the other unit back. Basically, they just let them get it out of their system. Now, in the course of that, again, nobody was hurt. Nobody was injured, except for a couple of, you know, bloody noses, they said. But about $200,000, hundred to $200,000 worth of damage was done. 
The inmates destroyed the command center of one of the units, which is what allows them to be able to lock down the unit. And they pulled out some of the plumbing, I guess. Um, I forget what else he said that they had. They had uh, they pulled down security cameras. So there was, you know, significant damage done. It's not, it's never good to have property damage. You know, that's something you, the taxpayers, pay for, but it's better than having anybody be seriously hurt or injured. So those are just some of the the details of what went on. And you can read it at WBSM.com and on the app. We have... I have a, a, I laid it all out in sections, all the things that Sheriff Haro said, and you can kind of follow along a little bit easier with, with everything that was going on. And you can, and I'll, I'll get into some of the demands that they had too. But I heard a lot of talk on, on, on Friday. I didn't get to listen as much on the weekend, but I heard some of the, some of the Saturday stuff, but I heard a lot of talk about how, well, when, when, when Sheriff Hodgson had this happen, you know, both he and and Sheriff Haro admitted that, uh, that 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 Sheriff Hodgson had the whole thing under control in ninety seconds. He had them all in zip ties and on their knees in ninety seconds. Well, let me let me clarify that for you because that's not entirely accurate. Based on not only the report that we got from the the state attorney general's office, but also on the thirty video clips that we posted up on WBSM.com and on the app and on our YouTube channel. It was 90 seconds from the time that the officers went in to have the inmates in zip ties and on their knees. But the duration of the event was five and a half hours. So from the time, so there was a period, just as in this situation, where Sheriff Hodgson made the call of lock it down, let them, you know, stomp it all out, and then we'll, we'll move in and we'll shut it all down. So I think it was about seven and a half hours for everything to be all said and done this past Friday. And that's two different housing units. The one ICE detention center, which was an entirely different type of setup, according to Marcus, than what you would have in the regular housing units. That, that took five and a half hours for everything to come to an end. What happened on Friday took seven and a half hours. And I don't know how fast from the time that, the, you know, we're, we're going to get the after action review and... Um, Sheriff Rowe is going to make that public. He said he's going to make the videos of what happened public. So eventually we'll see it all. But for right now, we don't know how much time from the time that they moved in did it take them to have everything under control. Judging from what I could tell from the, you know, the Channel 5 helicopter footage, it didn't seem like it was that long. But it's a mischaracterization for people to say, well, Sheriff Hodgson had the whole thing wrapped up in 90 seconds. No, that event went five and a half hours. So he too, well, under his watch too, they had a significant amount of time in which the inmates were left 
inside, well, the detainees in this case, were left inside to do damage. 508-996-0500. I got to take a break. I'm late for it. We'll be back in a few. From who? Uh, just say from, from the one who loves you, baby. you and I that was um that was one of my favorite songs uh for a second album and you know being a radio geek even from a young age I was uh I was a fan of that song but you know who isn't a fan of that song is Tiffany uh she doesn't like to perform that anymore that much uh but she does do it sometimes when I saw her on the cape uh, a few months ago because that was like a different type of you know, an intimate night for fans and she was doing Q&A and sharing some personal stories around the songs and it was much more laid back. Uh, they did, she did perform that song then and not even the whole song, just like a little little bit of it. But um, it, it I, don't, I don't know that it has aged well. Do people still call in and make radio dedications? I should ask Fun 107 that. Does anybody ever call up and say, will you play the song and dedicate it to this person? I mean, I guess what, Delilah's made a career out of it, so it still must be happening in some fashion, but all I can think of now when I think of radio requests and dedications is Casey Kasem and uh, <laughs> that infamous clip about Snuffles. If you're, if you're, not, if you're not familiar with that, I, I, I can't play it on the air. Uh, neither could Casey Kasem, but uh, if you if you go and you YouTube Casey Kasem snuffles, you'll you'll find what I'm talking about. And now on with the countdown. Um, but the um, you know, b- back in those days, I remember you know, my ex wife and I, you know, I was interested in her way back in high school, and I would call the Tabor Academy station, and I would send requests out to her because I knew she was listening. But like that was 1994 five. And I, I don't think I don't think I've ever heard a, a request outside of the Delilah show since then. So I, I don't know if it's still a thing. I did. So the night before we got married, uh, Peter Wolf, who, as you know, is the lead singer of the Jay Giles band, but actually before that was a DJ, one of the original DJs on WBCN, and he had that whole you know wooba groova shtick that he would do. Like he had the the whole. Um, you know, kind of like the Arnie Woo Woo Ginsburg type delivery. And they were doing a, a, a BCN like Memorial Weekend on a different station. 
and I can say BCN because they're off the air, but a different station was hosting some of those original BCN DJs. And so he was doing the Saturday night shift and I was driving home and I called him up and I said, oh, you know, I was just so geeked out to talk to Peter Wolf. And, uh, and I said, Hey, I'm getting married tomorrow. Can you just play anything and, and dedicate it to us? And so he played love stinks and you know what? He was right. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. But uh, yeah, it was, that, was, that was a lot of fun. And so, you know, songs about radio might be outdated, but you and I remember, right? The next generation has no idea what we're talking about, but you and I remember. And speaking of radio, I, I'm reading the book. If you haven't read it, uh, it is by Donna Halpern. It's the, the History of Boston Radio from 1920 to 2010. It's one of those books that uh, Arcadia Publishing puts out um, that you see, like, when you go to, like, you go to um, CVS or Walgreens, you see the the rack of books over near the register, and there's a lot of, like, local history books. That's where you'll find my book, by the way. But you'll see uh, all kinds of books there about local history. And so it was one of the ones that was written as kind of, like, part of that series. And uh, you can see the photo of Arnie Woo Ginsburg on the on the front cover of it. But I'm reading that, and it's it's there's not a lot of text in the book. It's mostly done with photos, and a lot of photos from from even from her own collection, because she's a radio historian, a professor, and a DJ herself. And so she shares a lot of the the photos and kind of tells the stories of the stations around the photos. But the the point that I'm getting to here is that there was a gentleman from Marion who actually really got a lot of the radio started in this area. He had stations in Marion and Mattapoisett, and he had the first station in New Bedford. So he was one of the ones that really started getting things going. And, uh, and of course, we all know about Colonel Green and, uh, and um, Round Hill and the radio station that he ran there for many years. So I'm, I'm going to try to have her on the program so that we can talk about you know, the South Coast individuals that, that played a part in building radio to what it is. Because we're just about at the 100th, you know, this is might be over in some cases, but this is like the 100th anniversary of all of these stations that, that first came online. And not all of them survived. In fact, many of them didn't survive. You know, this station's only been around for a little over 75 years. So some of those early stations didn't make it. And in fact, according to this book, there's another station in town that claims that they're like the 11th oldest radio station in America. And uh, and this book kind of refutes that a little bit because of what heritage they're trying to follow in order in order to claim that. But it doesn't matter. We're, we've had stations in this area that have been around forever. You know, for as long as there has been radio, uh, we've been a place where there has been radio. You know, Brant Rock, of course, famously had the first radio station. But we've we've got a lot of them here. And and the gentleman who started, and I, I wish I could remember his name, but I don't have the book in front of me. The gentleman who started those radio stations in Mattapoisett, in Marion, in New Bedford, actually, from the way that it was described, and I don't know how much of this is legend and how much of it is truth, but actually started... Because he was encouraged by Marconi himself. He went to see, as a young boy, he saw Marconi speak and, and Marconi was 
taken aback by the fact that there was such a, a young person in the audience and spoke to him personally and encouraged him and, 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 and maybe corresponded with him and encouraged him to help to start his own radio stations. I mean, you can't get any more direct than having the, the, the South Coast first radio stations started by a guy who was mentored by Marconi, the guy who invented radio. So I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty excited to dive deeper into that history. Maybe the rest of you don't care. Maybe you're not radio geeks like I am, but I think some of you are. And I think some of you will want to hear about this, even, even if it's just, you know, one, one time you listen to it and that's it. Um, but I think, I think it'll be something that will be an interesting history lesson. And Irving Vermilia was the man's name. Irving Vermilia was the name of the man who, I guess he was not from here originally. He summered here. But he started a first a radio station in Marion. And then he had one in Mattapoisett and then New Bedford. So I'm, I'm excited to learn more about this. Hopefully you are as well. And if not, well... Just listen anyway, and we'll talk about something else after the interview. 508-996-0500 if you want to call in and chime in, but I'm going to take another break right now and be back in a few moments. Spirit of radio there and the spirit of what we were just talking about. And speaking of radio, what I what do I always tell you is to me what radio is all about. Or one of one of the things that I think of when I think of radio. I always think about concert ticket giveaways, right? And I've been telling you that we're gonna have a whole bunch of concert ticket giveaways over the course of the next couple of months. And we're gonna start tomorrow with a win it before you can buy it opportunity however I can't tell you just yet who it's going to be I can tell you in the next hour because they're not even announcing it until the next hour we're going to have a concert announcement for you coming up in the 10 o'clock hour and we will have tickets all the rest of this week to give away to the show and that's all I can tell you right now. We're, we're about eight minutes away from me being able to tell you. But uh, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's an artist that we played last week here on the program. 508-996-0500. Good morning. You were on WBSM. Hello. Yes, hi. Good morning, Tim. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. The, I'm talking about that radio station in Marion, Tim. 
Isn't there a, like a Marconi Drive or something like that in Marion? There is, yeah. So it, they had some of the original Marconi towers from the original Marconi wireless relay. There was like, I, I forget how many stations there were, like, and, and they were like relay stations for those signals. And there was one in Marion. Gotcha. Yeah. It's still, so I guess there's still like the spot out there where it was, but I don't know that everything is still out there. I haven't been there myself. I, uh, I'm sorry. The, um, I used to work out there where it seems to me there used to be a, a brick building and some tall towers, but uh, I don't know if those are still there or not. Yeah, I'll have to look my into friend. that. I was going to write about it a while ago and it kind of fell off my radar, but I should look back into that. Very good. Thanks, Tim. All right. Thank you. And uh, yeah, that, that sorry that that could um that could tie into this story too, you know, because uh, the the way so I have an old 1920s radio, and you would never looking at it, you would never think that it's a radio. Like if I dropped it down, I'd say, "What is that?" You'd say, "I don't know, like some kind of scale or, um, like I, I it, it just looks very utilitarian." There, it's just a metal box with a dial on the front. And you really can't tell what it is. It wasn't until, you know, maybe the, the late 20s, early 30s that they started realizing, hey, wait a minute, we can make these things look good. And they can be ornate and be a centerpiece of the home. And, you know, the console radios, the, the, the floor model ones, I love those. I have a few of those. But those were definitely a centerpiece of the home because, you know, the whole family would be gathered around that listening to the radio. So those really, some of, I mean, some of them are pretty basic. Some of them don't really look like much, but some of them are really detailed. And that's why I collect them. You know, mo most of the ones that I have don't work anymore. Or if they do, I'm afraid to run them because I don't want to blow the tubes. But a lot of them I collect just because they're nice showpieces. And I blame Taylor Cormier for getting me into it. I mean, I was always kind of into it, but Taylor was the one that was like, you need to have a few of these in your home and started taking me to the, the radio flea market. And, you know, I'm the one that grabs the ones out of the free pile because I'm just going to put them all over my house. At one point you would walk into my living room and I had, you know, 1930s radios, 1940s radios all around my entertainment center, all across the divider between my living room and my kitchen. Uh, in a corner shelf, I would have like, the um, the much smaller ones or the Bakelite ones, I would have all of those. I, and, and then I had a couple console radios around, you know, floor model ones around. So, uh, listen, I'm, I'm just always going to see, if I see one, I'm going to try to buy it. You know, I, I don't really spend a lot of money on them anymore because people want exorbitant amounts of money that they're not really worth, especially if they don't work. But I still I still grab them all the time. All right, well, I do have to take one final break, but before I take that break, are you hungry? Because I'm hungry. And if you're hungry, where you should be heading right now is to just another Phoenix in Dartmouth. Even if you don't have time to sit down and you're thinking to yourself, oh, no, I, I, I got to get, get to work. I'm, I'm, I've got to get home and take care of the kids, the ones who aren't in school. Yeah, oh, I, gotta, I, I don't have time to sit down in a restaurant. Well, that's okay because they have a drive through window that you can pick up anything on their menu. So you call ahead, you order it, you go, you pick it up in the drive through window. You don't even have to get out of the car to pick up a delicious meal from just another Phoenix. And you can get all of your regular breakfast and lunch favorites, but they also have 
a very creative specials menu that you can order something different, something that you might not have thought of. So check it out. Just another Phoenix. They're on Fawns Corner Road in Dartmouth. Tomorrow on Tuesdays, seniors get free coffee with their food purchase too. So uh, you can actually make sure that you save a little money as well. So again, check them out. Just another Phoenix, Fawns Corner Road in Dartmouth. We'll take our final break and be right back. All right. Well, that'll do it for this hour. When we come back in the next hour,